A church was in the process of hiring a new pastor and is going through all those things that can be a long and often frustrating process, receiving applications, interviewing candidates, listening to sermons, and so forth. And Jim, one of the members of the official search committee, was beginning to lose patience with the rest of the committee. He had seen the committee reject applicant after applicant for some little minor flaw, so he decided it was time for some soul-searching on the part of the committee. So at their next meeting, Jim stood up and read a letter that he said had been received from yet another applicant. And he read, Gentlemen, I understand your pulpit is vacant. I should like to apply for the position. I have many qualifications. I've been a preacher with much success and also have had some success as a writer. Some say I'm a good organizer. I've been a leader in most places I've been. I'm over 50 years old, 50, I'm over 50 years of age, and I've never preached in one place for more than three years. In some places, I left town after my work caused riots and disturbances. I must admit that I've been in jail three or four times, but not because of any real wrongdoing. My health is not good, still I accomplish a great deal. The churches I've preached in have been small, though located in several large cities. I've not gotten along well with religious leaders in town where I've preached. In fact, some have threatened me and even attacked me physically. I'm not too good at keeping records. I've been known to forget whom I baptized. However, if you can use me, I promise to do my best for you. Jim looked at the others and said, well, what do you think? Shall we call him? The others were appalled. They responded, what? Consider a sickly, troublemaking, absent-minded ex-jailbird. Are you crazy? Who signed that application? Who would have that kind of nerve? Jim finally smiled and replied, it's signed, the Apostle Paul. <laughs> In Acts chapter 14, as we follow Paul and Barnabas on this first missionary journey, we see them serve as an examples of what it means to be qualified for God's service. They model for us the true qualifications of an effective servant of Jesus Christ. Now, we know that every job has certain qualifications. It doesn't matter what you're applying for. And you're all very much aware of this. There are certain qualifications that need to be met for each job. Whenever you apply for a job, you fill out an application form. Then you're interviewed and the questions are asked to determine whether you qualify. Some jobs demand rather simple qualifications. Other jobs demand something that's very complex. There are simple jobs that may require physical dexterity and strength, the ability to follow orders, a limited amount of education. Even these have their qualifications. The very complex jobs that we have today with, that have the scientific demands um, and maybe even some mental genius that goes along with it and they require graduate degrees and psychological strength and capabilities of administration and leadership and so forth. And then we have all the jobs that are in between and all these kinds of things are just a matter of qualification. If you fit the qualifications, you're fitting the job. So what are the qualifications for being an effective, useful, fruitful servant of the living God? Now, Paul and Barnabas were both super qualified for the work the Holy Spirit had called them to do. But in one regard, they had completely different qualifications. Paul was a program person. Barnabas was a people person. 
One of these Sundays, as we follow Paul and Barnabas, we'll get to that part where the difference between them blew up in a big disagreement. The structure in the original language even indicates that they almost came to blows against one another. Barnabas, the people person, wanted to take along John Mark on the second missionary journey. It was crucial to him as a people person that John Mark be redeemed for ministry. And it's a good thing Barnabas did because John Mark wrote the gospel of Mark. Paul, the program person, wasn't going to let any one person get in the way of what God was going to do in taking the gospel into the whole world, to the Gentiles. Paul was outspoken. Everything was black and white. Barnabas was the kind of guy where you could take your sandals off in his home and you could lean back and feel encouraged and blessed by his presence. Now, if you're honest about this, if with, with what you know about Barnabas and Paul... Which one would you rather have babysit your kids or your grandkids on a Saturday night? Which one would you rather spend an evening with in your living room? Now, that's going to say something about your personality, isn't it? Yet on the first missionary journey, we'll see that God used both Paul and Barnabas, used them differently. He used them both in sometimes miraculous and effective ways while they were carrying out God's call to ministry. In one regard, then, they had completely different qualifications for serving Christ. But in another regard, we're going to see where they had the exact same qualifications for effective service. And those are the qualifications that we're going to be interested in in the next few weeks. And we're going to spend several weeks following them in this first missionary journey that we read this morning. What are the true qualifications of an effective servant of Jesus Christ? And we're going to see both Paul and Barnabas exhibit these qualities as we trace their ministry. But as we trace their ministry, don't start thinking that this is all about Paul and Barnabas. This is what it takes to be a great missionary or to be successful in the mission field or to to have a large public ministry. One of my favorite scripture passages is in James chapter 5 verse 17. You don't need to turn to it, but I'll read it for you. James writes, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah wasn't any different. The great prophet Elijah wasn't any different than the rest of us. He was a human being just like you and me, cut from the same human fabric. That means that Elisha had issues. He suffered from fear. He suffered from depression. He suffered from loneliness. His self-worth tanked on a regular basis. Yet on another occasion, he mistakenly thought that he was indispensable. That he alone was the only one that was speaking for God, and God had to remind him, hey, there's 5,000 other guys. (laughs) You're you're not alone. You know, if I was in one of those talkback churches, I would say, turn to the person next to you and say, I've got issues. (laughs) I've got issues. You've got issues. I've got issues. We all have issues. Yet Elijah, with all his issues, prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And at the end of that three years and six months, he's up on Mount Carmel facing down 500 prophets of Baal. After they did their thing all day, all morning, cut themselves trying to show how serious they are before their God, Baal. Elijah prayed a simple prayer and the fire of the Lord fell from heaven, consumed the burnt offering, the wood, and even the stones. You see, it wasn't his issues that disqualified Elijah or qualified or disqualified Paul or Barnabas for that matter. 
It wasn't their issues that disqualified them from being effective, faithful servants of God. It was certain spiritual qualifications that made them effective for the kingdom of God and his glory. Now, this does not mean that God does not want to work with us with our issues, to work through them and know his healing and blessing in all of this. And so before we, we look at what it was that specifically qualified Paul and Barnabas for effective service and what qualifies you and me for effective service, we need to be reminded of the Holy Spirit's role in all of this. And this part's not in your outline. There's a whole big chunk here on the Holy Spirit that you have to write this down yourself. It's going to be pretty simple because, uh, you know, we start to think whenever we think it's all about me and what I can do and how I'm doing and those kind of things, that, that's an issue that we really need to take to God immediately because the Holy Spirit's role is really the key role in the book of Acts. Uh, it's often called the Acts of the Apostles. Remember when we started the book of Acts, we said it's better titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We need to always put these things in the context of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working in us and through us as we are disciples and servants of Jesus Christ. His, do his purposes. So I want to give you three things that are pretty simple and then we'll, we'll flesh it out. When it comes to how the Holy Spirit works in us and through us, three things. We are to be, number one, spirit-filled, Number two, spirit-formed. And number three, spirit-enabled. We'll talk about those one at a time if you didn't get them down. Spirit-filled, spirit-formed, spirit-enabled, which talks about our spirit-giftedness. Three ways the Holy Spirit works in and through us. First of all, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised his disciples that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. The power for effective service comes from the Holy Spirit. Time after time, we find in the book of Acts, Paul or Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And I like that one we looked at recently when Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on a wizard named Bar-Jesus. This is spiritual warfare that not even the best movies that we can do now can indicate what's going on here. And he looked at this guy and said, you are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness. You will not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and will not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. So in order to be usable of God and the Holy Spirit's role is we are to be spirit-filled. Secondly, we are to be spirit-formed. Spirit-formed. Think of it this way. After you are saved, once you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you're forgiven of your sins, once that is settled, what's next? Now what does God want to see happen in your life? What does God want to do in your life? Peggy Lee used to sing the song, Is That All There Is? <laughs> and I think oftentimes we think, yeah, I'm saved, I'm in, that's good, cool. Is that all there is to being a Christian? In other words, once you are saved, what is God's number one goal? What's his priority for your life? The, the good gospel tract used to say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Remember that? Uh, the four spiritual laws it was called. So what is that plan? What is God's wonderful plan for my life? 
God's wonderful plan for your life is to make you more and more like Jesus Christ, to transform you to the image of Christ. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, he marked out ahead of time to become conformed to the image of his son. Now, if you got up this morning and you're not saved, the Holy Spirit's priority number one is to bring you to salvation in Jesus Christ. That's it. If you got up this morning and you are a believer, you are saved, the Holy Spirit's number one priority is to make you more and more like Jesus Christ. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, that of the Lord Jesus, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit is the Holy Spirit who does it. When we look into the Word of God and we see the glory of God in His Son, the Holy Spirit makes us to be more and more like the Son of God. By His Holy Spirit, we are transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Turn over to Paul's letter to the Galatians for a moment. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, page 1427, if you're using the Bible in the racks. Galatians 4, 19. When you find Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, keep your finger there for a minute, because we're going to read one particular verse there in a minute. And the reason we're going to Galatians is twofold, because it shows the ministry of being spiritually formed here. But also, we, I, I like because it's the letter to the Galatians. Now, who are the Galatians? The Galatians are just all those people we read about in, in uh, Acts chapter 14. They're the Lyconians. They're people from Derby. They're people from Lystra. They're people from Iconium who stoned him, you know, except these are the believers, those who came to Christ. And so he's writing to the very same people who were saved on this first missionary journey. The problem was very quickly, within weeks, months at the most, they began to fall back into legalism. They were placing themselves back under bondage to the law. They thought that's the way you live the Christian life. And in doing so, they were deserting the Christ and the gospel that they had come to believe in. So Paul says to them, you stupid, stupid people, you. No, actually, his words were more harsh. Actually, Paul said, you foolish Galatians, you moros, you morons, who has bewitched you, who put a spell on you? Are you so foolish, moros, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? How stupid is that? It's the Holy Spirit by which we are saved, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit by which we are perfected. It is the work of the Holy Spirit by which we are becoming more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The works of the law don't perfect you. Spiritual or performance-oriented works don't perfect you any more than they save you. So that brings us to Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. It's not the works of the law, which Paul calls a false gospel. He calls it a different gospel, a different Jesus, a different spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So what is Paul's number one priority in ministry to these Galatians who have been saved? What is his goal in ministry? Once they are saved, what does he want to see happen in their lives? Verse 19 of Galatians chapter 4. My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. 
I labored among you the first time. And the word labored there means to give birth. I labored among you the first time. We heard about all those things that happened to Paul and Barnabas the first time. I labored to bring the Holy Spirit's regeneration, new birth to you. Now, he says, I am in labor again. For what purpose? So that Christ be formed in you. The number one goal of his ministry to the Galatians, the number one priority of his ministry was that the Holy Spirit make them more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. The goal of his ministry was make them, that the Holy Spirit would make them like Jesus in their actions, in their behavior, and most of all, to make them like Christ and who they are so that the Holy Spirit would shape their very souls into the image of Jesus Christ. Spirit-filled, spirit-formed, and that brings us to spirit-enabled. Now we're back to the outline again in the bulletin this morning, but we're not going to cover that whole outline. Here's where we get back to it. So we're really back to our issues here. Please don't think that God cannot and will not use you to make a difference in the kingdom of Jesus Christ for his, for his purposes until you have it all together. Because which comes first, spirit-filled, spirit-formed, or spirit-enabled? Yes, <laughs> they're all happening at the same time. This is what God is doing in his work, you know. We don't have to have it all together before God will use us. You know, I've often said that if God could use Balaam's donkey, he can certainly use me or any one of us. So next week, I'll probably be the straight man to a, a, a mule or donkey instead of a fish. It's <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite things on Sunday morning. I get to be straight man to animals. <laughs> but the question is, are we usable? And the cool thing is, God wants to use each one of us. God wants to use every one of us here to effectively serve him and his kingdom and other people. God wants us to use, God wants to use Grace Baptist Church in unimaginable ways. And a lot of times they're unimaginable because we can't get past our issues. We have a hard time seeing through the grid that we have. And we mistakenly think it's the issues that are in the way. God will deal with our issues as he shapes us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. So we're transformed in his image. But as we are shaped more and more into his image, we will exhibit more and more the qualifications necessary to be effective servants of Jesus. So just what are the true qualifications of an effective servants, servant of Jesus Christ? So we follow Paul and Barnabas here. We're going to see success and defeat. Talk about defeat. Paul even gets stoned. Not like in the 60s, but the other kind of stone. Barnabas and Paul are declared to be gods at one point. No matter what they do, they can't keep these people from sacrificing to them. That could make humility a real problem. Get the bus, get the microphones, get the TV, satellites, all that kind of stuff. We've got to take this on the road. How many people get caught up in that, thinking it's, it's all about them? Now, the qualifications that we're going to see exhibited by Paul and Barnabas, and we're just going to talk about the first one this morning, but we're going to see their spiritual giftedness, their boldness, their humility, their persistence, their commitment, and their reverence. No matter what our differences in personality, no matter what our differences in natural ability or differences in our circumstances, differences in our spiritual gifts, in our education, in our intelligence, whether we're rich or poor or young or old or in what capacity we serve Christ in his church, in all these different varieties of ways, these are the true qualifications to be an effective servant of Jesus Christ. And there's not a thing in the way except ourselves in obtaining any one of these qualifications. It doesn't matter whether you're going through a tough time. 
and have a lot of struggles and issues or whether things seem to be pretty smooth right now. And if things to be pretty, seem to be pretty smooth right now, cheer up, things can get worse. And then they, they, they do. We know what the Marines are looking for. What is God looking for? He's looking for your spiritual giftedness, your boldness, your humility, your persistence, your commitment, and your reverence. So we're going to have to just talk about their spiritual giftedness this morning because spiritual giftedness was at the heart of Paul and Barnabas' ministry. We're going to look at just maybe two or three of them this morning. There's, there's six or seven that are in your outline of the ways they exercise their spiritual gifts. But we're just doing this to point out the spiritual gifts of Paul and Barnabas to show that they were at the heart of their ministry, not to say we have to have those same spiritual gifts. And then it should be, and spiritual giftedness should be and must be at the heart of the ministry of Grace Baptist Church and at the heart of every one of our individual ministries. So we start with a spiritual gift that was demonstrated by Paul and Barnabas. It's the spiritual gift of prophecy. The spiritual gift of prophecy is what the Bible calls it. That was, of course, their main purpose on this particular mission. Now, the point is not whether you, you or I have that same gift of prophecy. The point is whether you and I are serving in the area of our spiritual gifts. And we see the gift of prophecy alluded to in Acts chapter 14 in the first verse. And I say alluded to because we don't say, well, they had the gift of prophecy and then they did this and that. But it's alluded to. We see it in the words, they spoke in such a manner in verse 1. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both in Jews and Greeks. Then if you go down to verse 7, it says, and there they continued to preach the gospel. And then clear down at verse 21. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. And then verse 25 says, when they had spoken the word in Perga, both exercise what the Bible New Testament calls the gift of prophecy. Now, this is not the, the predictive gift of prophecy that we often see in the Old Testament. So let me define what the gift of prophecy is. The spiritual gift of prophecy is the ability to proclaim the word of God with clarity and power. The spiritual gift of prophecy is the ability to proclaim, thus saith the Lord, the word of God, scripture, with clarity and and power. That's what Paul and Barnabas did in every city they visited. In Colossians chapter 14, or 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you don't need to turn to it, but in verse 3, Paul describes the spiritual gift of prophecy. He says, the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. The spiritual gift of prophecy is the ability given by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the word of God with clarity and power, to proclaim God's word for the purpose of edification, to build people up, to edify them. And of course, that means it's not to tear them down. For exhortation, the word is paraclesis, encouragement. Remember that? The son of paraclesis, the son of encouragement. Barnabas, for the purpose of encouraging people. That's what Barnabas did. And then it says for consolation. Where paraclesis means to come alongside for encouragement, consolation, paramuthia, means to come alongside to give comfort. For comfort, for encouragement, for edification. 
And of course, Paul and Barnabas were qualified as effective servants of God because they exercised their spiritual gift of proclaiming God's word with clarity and power. Secondly, they both had the gift of apostleship. Now we're going, well, there's another one we don't have. (laughs) In verse 14 of Acts chapter 14, notice what Paul and Barnabas are referred to in Scripture after the people said they were, were gods. And it's very clear on this, verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it. The apostles, Barnabas and Paul. Now you're thinking, I didn't know Barnabas was an apostle. Did you know that? Yes, he was. It says so he was right here. But here's the difference. He was not an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostolos means one who is sent out. Sent out for a particular mission, a particular ministry. In fact, the Latin word missio, which is, we get our word missionary from. Missio means the exact same thing as the Greek word apostolos. A missios is the one who is, who is sent out. A missionary is one who is sent out. Now, Jesus named 12 apostles and sent them out. These were the apostles of Jesus Christ. Then Judas was replaced in Acts chapter 1. And then Jesus chose another apostle, the the apostle Paul. And so we have 13 who were the apostles of Jesus Christ. Now, there are no more apostles of Jesus Christ in that sense, because an apostle had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection, had to have been discipled personally by Jesus. We could go back through those. There's no apostles of Jesus Christ today on the earth. And, of course, Paul over and over again introduced himself in his apostle of Jesus Christ. So what about Barnabas? He's an apostle. Well, yeah, because he's he's sent out. Barnabas would be considered an apostle of the church, one who was sent out by the church. The Holy Spirit's one that actually sent him out, but the church laid their hands on him, on Paul and Barnabas, and and, uh, set them aside for the work that God had called them to do. And what was that work? How was Barnabas gifted? Let me give you a definition of the gift of apostleship. If you'd rather say it's the gift of being a missionary, that, that's okay. But being a missionary or being an apostle is the ability to communicate the Christian message across cultural and frequently linguistic barriers and plant a Christian church where there's no knowledge of the gospel. These are the ones that go out and do a new work in a new place where it's never been before. And uh, we support many missionaries in that regard. So Paul and Barnabas were effective qualified servants of God because they exercised their gift of apostleship. Then Paul and Barnabas were spiritually gifted teachers. And this is where we'll have to conclude it this morning. In verse 21 of Acts chapter 14, again, you won't see the word teaching, but it's implied there. We see it implied in the words, made many disciples. Verse 21, and after they had preached the gospel in that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And thus that ended the first missionary journey. What was Jesus' command in what we call the Great Commission? Go and make disciples. And how is that command to be carried out? to be carried out by baptizing them and by teaching them to observe all 
that Jesus had commanded. Paul and Barnabas taught for a year and a half in Antioch, and in every place they went, they were teachers. And they were teachers to the point that those whom they taught, they made them into disciples. How is the command to make disciples to be carried out? By going, which is a participle, by baptizing, and by teaching. That's how we make disciples. Now Jesus said when a disciple is fully taught, he will be like his master. We're back to Christ-likeness again, aren't we? So let me give you a simple definition of discipleship. Lots of definitions this morning. What is discipleship? Well, when we grow up in Sunday school, we say, well, it's a learner. Yeah, that, that's part of it. I like the word apprentice because that's really what it was. Discipleship means to apprentice yourself to the master, to Jesus Christ for a lifetime. Discipleship means to apprentice yourself to Jesus Christ for a lifetime. And why do you apprentice yourself to somebody? So you can learn to do what you do as if the master, Jesus, were doing it. When you apprentice yourself to somebody, you want to learn to do what you're going to do like, like the master does it. In other words, if Jesus had your spiritual gift, and he does because he's the only one that had all the spiritual gifts. Maybe Paul was a close second. But Jesus has all the spiritual gifts, all the gifts of the Spirit. If Jesus were to use your spiritual giftedness, how would the Master do it? How would he do it? If you have the gift of teaching and Jesus was in your situation, how would Jesus teach? How would he do it? That's your goal in using your spiritual gift. How would Jesus be merciful if you have the gift of mercy to those with whom you, that, that God puts in your life? How would Jesus use your gift of helps or your gift of service or your gift of administration? Yeah. How, how would Jesus run a church if he was the administrator of a church? Well, Jesus wouldn't run it, would he? <laughs> how would the Lord Jesus use the gift of prophecy if he preached behind the pulpit at Grace Baptist Church on a Sunday morning? I need to ask that question every week, don't I? Ask of the master every week. I get into God's word and ask, Lord, what do you want us to know? What do you want me to know? What do you want us to do? How would you say this if you were standing here? If we are going to be effective servants of the living God, and if the Holy Spirit is going to work in us and through us, and this is where we have to close, but there's lots of good stuff coming up. We must be spirit-filled, spirit-formed, and we need to serve and work in the area of our spiritual giftedness. And wow, doesn't God have some great stuff for us. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, now as we pause in prayer and as we begin to prayer, prepare our hearts to go to the table of the Lord, Father, to fellowship with you at your table, to eat of the bread, drink of the cup, to be in your presence, to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for all that the, the cross means to us. And even as we sing the song, must Jesus bear the cross alone. Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit be working in our hearts, speaking, motivating, comforting, exhorting, 
encouraging. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.